The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. In the years following the Civil War, Army officers like William Livermore and Charles Totten designed military games to be played on maps and used as training devices. In the mid-20th century, commercial companies like Avalon Hill and SPI produced games based on battles and campaigns of wars throughout history. In the 21st century, computers dominate the commercial game world, but some designers are still using paper maps and cardboard counters to recreate the events of the Civil War. One of them is Mark McLaughlin, designer of Rebel Raiders on the High Seas. We'll talk with him tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you this evening from the Civil War Talk Radio World Headquarters Annex on Oxford Road here in Greenville, North Carolina, accompanied by Heidi, the standard poodle, who's sleeping on the futon next to me as I talk from the home office. Uh, no particular reason, well, well, there is one I'll tell you in a moment, nothing dramatic, but not coming to you from the campus of East Carolina University this evening, and thus 
definitely not speaking for ECU, whose basketball team is playing against Tulane even as we speak, not speaking for Tulane or any university or anyone, just myself, and I know my guests will do the same as we always do here. It is, uh, uh, I was home a few weeks ago because of various injuries, uh, sore back on my part, uh, wife Emily is recovering from a disc problem in her back, which is extremely painful and slow to heal. And uh, I found myself spending more time at home today. However, I uh, am in perfectly good health, uh, a little depressed perhaps because of the, uh, the letdown of last Sunday's big game. Of course, everybody knows what happened. All North Carolina was excited uh, for the, the final day of competition of the men's over 50 soccer tournament in Wilmington. And it was canceled due to freezing rain and sleet and snow and uh, standing water on the fields that made them unplayable after it rained all night. So even though the Greenville Stars varsity, the over 50 men, had uh, split their games on the first day uh, and were in position with a victory to go on to the championship afternoon game, all for naught, the, the games were canceled. And the look on the faces of the players, I have to say, as we got up and were in the hotel breakfast nook on Sunday, looking at the freezing rain outside, the beaming smiles, the uh, joyous looks. We don't have to play today. Uh, I guess disappointment is not quite the right word. Uh, it would have been fun to play another game, but uh, two in one day was, was good. And uh, no one came away on crutches, no one came away limping, so a good day at the on the pitch and time to get home in time for the Super Bowl and something happened there. I don't know what happened. So we'll just move on from that. Uh, today, uh, one the reason I'm broadcasting from home this evening is I had planned to give a talk to the Lifelong Learning Program at East Carolina University, a, um, a program for people in the community who sign up and take these various uh, uh, classes, one or a series of talks, and I did one last year on the Civil War, uh, three meetings with uh, folks who came out because they were interested, not students who have to be there for credit, and it was really enjoyable. And So this year I said I would do it again, the subject would be Abraham Lincoln, and today was supposed to be the first day, but when I got to the public library where the meeting was to be held, there were fire trucks. Nothing was damaged. It was a gas leak inside the building that caused them to evacuate, but it meant we could not conduct today's session of the lifelong learning program. And so there I was, uh, nothing else to do but finish my errands for the day, mail some packages at the post office, and go home. And here I am home uh, with Heidi, utterly unconscious on the next piece of furniture, uh, talking to you about the Civil War as we'll do again next week when our guest will be David T. Dixon, author of The Lost Gettysburg Address, uh, an interesting look at uh, the third speech given at Gettysburg that day. We'll find out more about that. And then uh, other guests to follow. Uh, I've got a number of people lined up, but we'll, we'll save that for next week, tell you who they're going to be. You can always find out by going to impedimentsofwar.org, the Civil War companion website, or the Impediments of War Facebook page. You can like the page. Uh, you can also go uh, 
in your leisure time, when you're not listening to this show, uh, go to it was earbud, I think, dot org, dot com, dot fm, something to do with NPR. They are collecting all the best podcasts to tell their listeners about. And I thought, well, it's my duty to inform them that this is the best podcast, but their rules are producers and those involved are not supposed to promote their own shows. So in the interests, for the benefit of mankind, of all humanity, if uh, uh, you listeners would be sure to let them know that we're out here in Civil War Talk Radio, they can tell the world. In fact, I, while I was in the parking lot outside the uh, library today talking with uh, one of the uh, attendees for the, the Lincoln program, who also came to the Civil War program, he said, oh, I started listening to your podcast, and I discovered there's lots of podcasts, and indeed there are. Uh, it's, it's like finding a whole new world. Uh, this show's been on since before the word podcast was invented. We didn't know what to call it when we started. But uh, we're still here, 13, 12 years, whatever it's been later, still talking about the Civil War. And if you don't get enough from this and you are in the North Carolina area tonight at 9 o'clock, this is, what is this, February, Wednesday, February 10th, I believe, 2016, uh, right after this show, an hour afterwards, I will be sitting in the other seat and being the interview subject on WPTF, 680 AM, which you can probably get online as well from wherever you are, uh, the Tom Kearney Show. I've done that every year around Lincoln's birthday for several years now. Tom has a, a, a talk show where he discusses interesting topics. I think the rest of that station is filled with political craziness. I'm not sure. Uh, I can't say that I, I we don't get it here in, in in Greenville, but if you're of a mind to tune in by by the miracle of the internet, or if you live close enough, uh, do that, and then you can call in, because unlike this show, uh, Tom Kearney uh, often has people calling in during the show, and I've had people ask me some very perceptive and interesting Lincoln questions, and some very nutty and off-base Lincoln questions, and I welcome them both, uh, so feel free to call in tonight if you're hanging around the computer and uh, give Tom a call. He would love that. Well, I've got enough questions uh, not to rely on callers. Uh, actually, it's never been part of the show now that I think about it. We did one call once in 13 years, and it was a crank call, so that didn't work out. Uh, but tonight, we have as our guest Mark McLaughlin, who is a game designer, uh, most recent uh, publication is a game called Rebel Raiders on the High Seas. Uh, we'll find out what that's about, published by GMT Games, and we'll learn a little bit about the world of Civil War commercial board games. Uh, from Mark, uh, Mark, are you there? Yes, I am. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Um, before you get into it, I actually read one of your books. Oh. Yeah, um, all about the regiment. That that's an all, all for the regiment. Yes, the Army yeah. of the Ohio. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I, I read it you know, several years ago, and it's like when I saw your name in the email, I said that name seems familiar because it's not a a name you hear every day. 
Um, and I said, where, where did I get that name from? So I, said, I said, oh, I read that book. <laughs> so, that, that, I, I, I don't know if you've played my games, but I've read your, one of your books. <laughs> well, I, I have indeed, and, and uh, I, I thank you for sharing that. It happened to me on uh, a tour bus with the Stephen Ambrose historical tours. I forgot to oh, remind Oh, wow. Stephen that. Ambrose, one of my favorites. One wonderful uh, historian. Of course, he's no longer with us, but his historical tours company uh, continues to operate tours. And last year, we were at Little Round Top and had a licensed battlefield guide on the bus. And I had I, I lay low when when we have the guide on. I, I'm the the guide for the the tour generally, but let the the LBG do the battlefield. And finally, after we'd been around for 45 minutes, he came up to me and said, I remember who you are. You wrote the book about the Army of the Ohio. So uh, he had that same reaction you did. You know, you look at the name and go, you're not from around here, are you? Uh, so <laughs> none of us are. But none <laughs> of us are. Unless your name is Sitting Bull. <laughs> and even then, you know, you're yeah. 19,000 years ago, you walked over from Asia. So uh, Exactly. Uh, well, the thing about Riddle Roundtop, I remember with my son, he's 25 now. He was 10 years old, and I took him and his friend um, down to a game convention uh, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and then we went to Gettysburg, and I, I took him and drove him around, you know, showed him the, you know, the long, slow slope, the copse of trees, and up to the little round top, and I look up there and see, look how far they had to charge across that, and my son's friend said, wow, it's a good thing them Yankees didn't have no laser cannons. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that would have done for AK-47s. Yeah, I was looking for their time, but I mean, now Gettysburg is one of my favorite, uh, like, even though it's kind of a Disneyland for Civil War buffs, um, Antietam's actually my favorite. Um, I, I went to Georgetown, and I lived in Maryland for 20 years, and every year I would go out to uh, Antietam, either alone or with a friend or with my wife or with my son, or my daughter, and have a picnic, and go to Harper's Ferry, um, and just there's something. And of course, I had a relative in the Irish Brigade, an ancestor. Mm. So wow. when my son was six, I took him there, went to the sunken road, went to the upside down cannon for Richardson, turned around, took fifty paces out, turned around, and said, "This is where your ancestor stood for thirty minutes, firing buck and ball at guys whose whose heads he couldn't see, and stayed there until they ran out of ammunition." <laughs> Wow. And he so, had a real good appreciation for, for what it meant to be in the Civil War. Um, so, yeah. tell, tell me something about your background in terms of interest in the Civil War. Then, Did you grow up with this as, a, as a, an interest? Well, I still remember when I was five years old, and I got the blue and gray Mark's battle set. With ah, the 54-millimeter yes. army men, the blues and grays, and the metal yep. buildings, and the plastic stuff. And, of course... Well, I, and when I was the Civil War Centennial, also came started in eighteen in nineteen sixty one. So I had the Civil War Centennial trading cards, and I had the mm-hmm. Milton Bradley Battle Cry game with the little plastic soldiers, and I had another Parker Brothers game with gray and blue discs. Uh, mm-hmm. So you know, I, I and there was a couple of TV series on uh, on during the weeks. So I think one was called Brother versus Brother or something. And uh, you know, I guess I loved the Civil War. I was Albany, New York. grew up in Albany, New York. Um, and so, and I started playing games, uh, you know, Avalon Hill games when I was 13, um, one of which, of course, was Gettysburg. Um, and so when I went to Georgetown, of course, Georgetown's colors are blue and gray, because the class of 1861, half went north, half went south, just like West Point. 
So in being down there and being with gamers and miniatures gamers, so I paint soldiers as well and play, push them around tables and board games. Of course, you know, I got to see so many of the battlefields, you know, of, of, of the war, you know, up front. Um, and when I graduated from Georgetown, I was working uh, as a, a bank teller, uh, trying to, you know, my father had given me this, this uh, ultimatum. I'll pay your rent for six months. At the end of six months, if you can't pay your own rent, you're coming back to Albany and work on the railroad with me, which I didn't want to do. And I was at my friend's house. Um, I spent the night and slept on the sofa. And the next morning, his publisher comes over. And he was, Kurt was a, an historian, had several books published. He was a high school teacher. And he had a contract to do a book called Battles of the American Civil War for this English company, Crown. And it was 12, 12 chapters, one covering each of 12 different battles, plus an intro and all that. And the publisher said, I can't wait 12 months. I need it in six. And Kurt says, well, I can't possibly do it in that short of time. I, I need a co-author. And he says, do you have somebody in mind? And he points to me and says, how about him? <laughs> and so that was my first book. I was the co-author of Battles of the American Civil War, which came out in America under the title Civil War Battles, clever, catchy title. Mm. A lot of pretty pictures, really well-illustrated maps. Uh, very nice book. It's like you can still buy it on remaindered shelves uh, here and there, and you can actually still order it. They um, did a couple of reprints over the years. Uh, so, so, again, I've always been you know, interested in the Civil War. And then in the next book I did for Osprey, which was The Wild Geese, about the Irish Brigades who fought for France and Spain, I actually included a chapter on the American Irish Brigade and on other Irish, you know, and, and of course I love the James Cagney movie in the 69th New York, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and all that. So uh, it kind of goes back. So I've, I've yeah, I've, I've always been, Civil War has been one of my go-to periods of history, um, you know, and I've designed games on it. I've written books on it. I've written a blog on it. My, my GameSpot blog is all about the Civil War navies. So um, I've always been a big fan of the Civil War. Uh, um, and one more, one more thing. Greenville, North Carolina, where you are, yes. has a, a mall, Haywood Mall. Uh, In that mall is a game store run by my friend John Emery called Boardwalk and Park Place, who is a big fan of all of my games, and I play with at conventions every year. I, I'm thinking that must be Greenville, South Carolina. I think I thought it was North Carolina. No, we um, we we've got one mall that doesn't have Jack in it. Uh, <laughs> it, it did have a hobby store, but the whole chain closed at some point. Uh, the uh, I can't remember their name now. Um, uh, but no, we don't have we we have a, one decent game store in town. But uh, but Greenville, South Carolina has has more of that sort of thing. I'll bet that's where that is. I thought he was in North Carolina. Uh, yeah, it's it called the Greenville Mafia. Uh, yeah, no, that wouldn't be here. We, I, I think I'd know about it, but one never knows. Well, listen, Mark, we're going to take a short break now. We're going to come back in just a minute, talk more uh, about Rebel Raiders and your other works and uh, gaming and Civil War in general. Our guest tonight is Mark McLaughlin, designer of Rebel Raiders on the High Seas. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America interactive radio player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's p-r-o-k-o-p-o-w-i-c-z-g at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Talking today with Mark McLaughlin. He is a game designer. Uh, most recently published work is Rebel Raiders on the High Seas. It's about civil war at sea. Uh, we talked in the first segment a bit about uh, Mark's background and interest in the war. And Mark, when you mentioned the, the Mark's blue and gray soldiers, that certainly struck a chord here. I had that set as well. And I think a fair number of Listeners to this show remember the, the Centennial Collector cards and those other other things that brought us into the uh, the world of studying uh, Civil War history. So let me ask you about um, uh, a game. Well, you, you mentioned how you got started writing uh, about uh, the Civil War and about history. What about designing games? Uh, I looking. Uh, online, I, I see War and Peace. Uh, that was my first uh, published by Apple Hill. Was that I've your first seven, one? I've had seventeen published games since then. How? How? What? What made you think? You know, oh, I think I'll design a game. How, how did you get into that? Well, when I was uh, a kid, mm-hmm. I would read a book and say, "Gee, I wish I could play that as a game." And there were very few games, war games, uh, out at the time. The big Avon Hill came out with one every six months. This would be in mm-hmm. SPI wasn't around yet. So I'd make my own up. I just you know, I'd get cardboard and paper and t- toy soldiers or, or or dice, whatever I get, and make a game. Um, and of course, when I got to college, I started. I got that's when gaming really took off. SPI was around. Avon Hill was coming out with more games. There were other companies coming up. And I was, but then I was also painting and playing with toy soldiers and recreating miniatures, battles in miniatures with those. And in uh, nineteen seventy-eight, I, I got married. And I came back from my honeymoon, and my key didn't fit in the office that I worked at. They had mm. closed the office while I was away on my honeymoon, so I was out of a job. 
Ouch. And I was living in, in Maryland. And so I just said, well, I'm, when I'm looking for work, I've always wanted to go to see Avalon Hill. And they're up in Baltimore, which I had roommates from college in Baltimore. I went to Baltimore once a month. I was in college. But I never, want, never checked up on these guys. So I sent them a letter. And they said, I said, I just want to come and visit your place. So I, I got up there. And they said, sure, come on up. And I took a quick tour. And they were going to... And, Two of the principals were going out to lunch, Tom Shaw and um, Don Greenwood. They said, you want to join us? And we went to a lovely little restaurant down the street. And Tom says, so, do you have any ideas for a game? Over the course of lunch, I came up with and pitched War and Peace. And I walked out of there that day with a contract. I get home and I tell my wife, you're never going to get us. (laughs) Instead of a day just to talk about war games, I'm going to make one. Um... And I said, 17 games later, I'm still going. Uh, I got five in the works right now in various stages of production at, at different companies, uh, including GMT. Uh, Rebel Raiders uh, was my it was was published a couple years ago. I've got one that just came out, a reprint of my 30 Years of War game called the Roman Empire. Came up by one small step. Um, I've got a game on on the on the Spanish Armada coming out uh, from another com- from another company. Um, I've got I've got several more games coming out. But the Civil War has always been a, a, a big uh, draw for me, for gaming. Um, even though most of my, if you look at my 17 games that are published, you know, a big chunk of them are Napoleonics, because it just kind of fell into that. Because, um, like, hey, I like plumes and swords, what can I say? Because uh, I went to military school, and I wore a Sam Brown belt, and a plumed hat, and a saber, and a blue coat, all of which I still have, uh, hanging up in my office, you know, and I show them to people, and they say, yeah, you wore that. I said, that was the, it was the 70s. <laughs> Um, but I, I love designing games because uh, it gives me a chance, gives me an excuse to read history uh, mm-hmm. and play. And then you know I make money from it, and it's just you know it's it's a, you, it's a win-win-win situation everywhere you go. That that's uh, certainly how I I know a lot of people who who write history or who teach history feel that way that uh, make enough to live decently and get to do something you have a passion for. Uh, what could be better? Let oh, you don't make a living about- out of designing games. It, it, it's a sideline. Mm-hmm. I used to say to my friends, it's, it's 90% of my fun and 10% of my income. <laughs> okay. So, so uh, what is your day job, just out of curiosity? I'm a journalist. I'm a ghostwriter, actually. Okay. Um, I cover international affairs, uh, international economics. Um, I've been doing it for 40 years. Um, so my name doesn't appear on most things I write. I also do some little columns for... Time Warner and for CBS uh, on, and, um, and, and for PBS on reviewing movies and books and writing about uh, best places to go to do certain things, which I do that kind of a little bit more on the sideline just so my name gets on it. So I can say, if you look, see, I wrote something with my name on it that you can actually read as opposed to having to read a, you know, a report you can't access and a company you don't subscribe to who's, who's, and my name doesn't show up on it anyway. <laughs> Well, you know, last week on the show, our guest was Christopher Dickey, who uh, is is also a journalist. He's right now correspondent for the Daily Beast in uh, Paris, and he uh, uh, the, the idea of journalists being interested in Civil War history or, or writing about it or, or uh, is not unusual. Many people who 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 write Civil War or produce games are not professional historians. They do other things. And so that leads me to a question uh, about the research process. If I'm talking to a history professor, I, I'm pretty sure I know how they go, uh, you know, how he or she is likely to go about it. Uh, 
how do you go about uh, when you're not writing a book but designing a game like Rebel Raiders? Uh, how, how do you do that? What, what's your research process? Well, I go I go find some good books, like um, for Rebel Raiders in the High Seas. Mm-hmm. James McPherson's War Upon the Waters was invaluable. Uh, it was an amazing book. Um, I actually get to meet him. I met him twice, including once at the New York Historical Society, where I actually got to ask him a question in front of an audience um, about James Buchanan, um, the Confederate Admiral. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, books. Books are big. Uh, um, and the the Civil War. You know, there's of course. You know, there's more books written on the Civil War than anything other than say Jesus Christ and Napoleon. So you've got a, an awful lot to choose from. Um, but fortunately, um, in this day and age, it's easy to find you know good books, used books, um, new books. Um, and so I would get those. There's also a lot of inf- information online. Um, but like anything else, like as you and a historian know, you're, you're looking for more different things than I'm looking for. Right. I'm looking for things, for concepts and trends that I can then recreate in a simulation but, but they don't always have to be this come out. But they can't always come out the same. Otherwise, there's no. I might as well write a novel or a book. So I, I want to find out. Well, what could have come? What did a Confederate blockade runner do? What was? How many of them were captured? How many of them got away? How? What was their lifespan? What? What impact did they have? What was the blockade like? What did it take to form the blockade? What kind of ships were part of the blockade? Uh, and then I had to boil it down so you could make a game out of it. So it didn't just you know bogged down in minutiae. I mean, there are games where you play uh, and you command a ship that fires 30 guns and you roll a die for every single gun to see whether it hits or misses and then what it does. And it can, and it, it can take hours to do a battle that took minutes. Um, and I want to do something strategic because nobody has ever done a strategic game of the Civil War navies. A lot of Civil War strategic board games where you have, you have whole United States or one of those two theaters. I did Army of the Potomac and Army of the Tennessee 30 years ago, uh, mm-hmm. for example. You know, those, those board games. Where you, the, you have the navies are a sideline. I mean, it's such a sideline that many times there's just a table where you roll some dice to see what happens. When I did Potomac and Tennessee, I added in gunboats, ironclads, raiders, blockade runners, uh, and, and sloops. Uh, again, on the periphery, but there were pieces for them. There were rules mm-hmm. for them. They had an impact on the game. And so when I decided to do Rebel Raiders, I said, everybody else does land war, land war, land war, here's some dice for Navy. Well, I'm going to do Navy, 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 here's some dice for land war. <laughs> so, so you have a land war, you, you take Atlanta, mm-hmm. you fight for Richmond, you, you do that. But three quarters to, to 80% of the game is build the Navy, set up the blockade, battle your way in, up and down the rivers, into the ports, or if you're the Confederates, get the blockade runners running, defend the ports with, with forts and ships, send out the raiders uh, to see what you can do an impact on the on Union um, commerce um, and see if you can last uh, outlast, uh, last longer than the Confederates did. You know, you're never going to win, the, no Confederate's ever going to win the Civil War in a game, any Confederate game, any, any game where the Confederates can win the Civil War in a, in a, in a true military victory is, is a fantasy, that, you know, that, you know, Mm-hmm. Uh, that you can find on websites and in, and in novels, um, but the, uh, to be in the South and survive, do better than the South did, and survive longer than the South did—that's a victory in, in, in a game. If the game has any kind of serious history to it. So, in this game, just I'm thinking for listeners who don't uh, aren't familiar with the genre and, and played games like this, they might be picturing well, like 
you know, what do you do? Line up your boats on a table and try and push something past the other guy. These are strategic games like chess on many steroids. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, there's a map. There's a very simple map for for rebel raiders on the high seas, for example. It's a very mm -hmm. simple map. Uh, The land area, you have uh, boxes connected by arrows, by lines, rather. So you want to go from Richmond to Fredericksburg, from Fredericksburg to to Washington. Um, Mm -hmm. And then there's the coastal cities, and there's some stuff inland. You come in through Tennessee or Kentucky, and you can, you know, fork your way into Atlanta and down or down on the Mississippi. So it's a very simple map. Mm-hmm. And the pieces are little little cardboard counters with pictures on them. And some will have will be generic. They'll say gunboat, blockade runner, um, uh, sloop. Others will have names on them. You know, the, the Monitor, the Housatonic, um, the Hartford, uh, the, the, the Alabama. Um, and then those are the pieces. And then there's a deck of cards, Confederate cards and Union cards, which help um, you play the game. The cards will give you stuff that happened in the war, like you'll get Eads's Ironclads, you'll get uh, um, Mallory uh, from the Confederate uh, Secretary of the Navy, who will you know, give you extra ships. Um, you'll get the Trent Affair, you'll get the... Um, Maximilian, who offers free haven to the blockade runners in Mexico, um, you get the, the Royal Navy because in case you you know angered the English, they might blockade, they might send ships to, to Canada, which they did historically, and the Union has to send ships off there. And you'll get generals like Grant and and, and Lee and Sherman as well. So you're playing cards, you're moving cardboard counters along a map and out to sea. You're rolling dice, uh, blockade runner wants to get from Charleston say, to Bermuda or, or all the way to, to Europe, Every, he, he, he moves, and if he passes through an area which has Union ships, Union ships get to try to stop him, and their chances are a little low, unless there's a lot of them, or you have special cards or special ships that are very, some ships are very good at catching blockade runners, others weren't. Mm-hmm. And so it's, 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 that's the game. It's dice and cards and cardboard. Um, and uh, you can play, you know, for a day, and hopefully you'll um, have fun and, and give us some idea what it was like to to be in overall command of the the navies for either side. So it, re- it really puts you in the position of making these strategic decisions. Where do you allocate resources? Exactly. Uh, do you focus on the blockade? Is it better to try to capture a port or blockade several ports? And likewise, the Confederates are allocating their scarce resources. So uh, it. it I, I mention all this because I know some people will have a negative response to the idea of making a, a, a game, uh, an amusement out of, uh, you know, a military event that, of course, is is a serious and important, and for many people, a fatal event. Uh, but these games uh, that we're talking about, they're not frivolous. They're. Uh, oh. Uh, I. I w- let me ask this question. This was something that SPI asked its readers many years ago. I think I was still in high school and didn't quite understand the question then, but but have a better sense now. Do you think of a game like Rebel Raiders as uh, comparable to, uh, this is multiple choice, a, uh, a academic monograph published by a university press, B, a popular history published by a trade press, C, a comic book illustrated history uh, and I don't know what D would be I have, I've run out of ideas uh, I'd say all of the above 
Because you've got so? to do some kind of serious research, like the first mm-hmm. one, so, mm-hmm. you, so you know what you're talking about. Because um, if you, especially things like the Civil War, if you don't know what you're talking about in a, in a war game, uh, and you make a mistake, you'll get called on it, and that'll often end it for a lot of people. Like, that never happened, that couldn't happen, that didn't exist. Um, so like guys who write, I, I reviewed a book uh, that a guy wrote about uh, the, the, the West Point uh, guys in the Civil War. And in his first page, mm-hmm. he has a you know, conf- uh, Confederate officer you know, from West Point with a battery of artillery, and he has, a, have, and he has the wrong guns. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I wrote to the author, and I said, you know, you're a West Pointer. You should know this. And believe me, anybody who knows the Civil War will read that first paragraph. And when they say, you've got the wrong kind of guns for this general, that's self-stop. So you have to have the number, that's the number one. Two, the popular mm-hmm. history, it's got to be accessible. It can't be, um, you know, if you make a simulation where every game turns out the way the history did, mm-hmm. what's the point? It's no longer a game. So it has to be fun. It has to be a little light. There has to be a challenge to it. And finally, the comic book aspect yeah, there's a lot of comic book to it. First of all, it's pretty, it's colorful, um, it's accessible, um, and you want to have fun. So you want to learn something and have fun at the same time, which, as you know, as a professor, that's, that's the, the key to, the, to your students. If your students mm-hmm. are bored to death, they're not learning anything. Absolutely. So if so, they're having fun, they're going to learn something. Um, so that's so the Civil War. So I say all of the above, A, B, and C. Okay. You some, mentioned, more, some more A than B, some more B than C, some more C than, than, than others. You know, it depends on how there are some things that are very, very serious and others which are Uncle Wiggly goes to Richmond. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, uh, let me, what about, uh, you mentioned uh, game, two games you designed uh, some time ago, the Army of the Potomac and Army of the Tennessee, which uh, you could combine, play them side by side as Mr. Lincoln's War. That's right. And have a, a strategic simulation of the entire Civil War. That um, wh- where did that fit in this scale? And and well, uh, basically, basically, that's War and Peace. That's the same design system I used in War and Peace. Um, mm-hmm. And I think well, I took the War and Peace model and went to the Civil War with it. But. It, uh, to make it one big game, I would have had it would have been it was was too expensive to do it in one box. It would have been too many components, too big of a map, and also I wanted to do it so that you could play either the East or the West because nobody done that before. They'd only mm-hmm. done the big games, um, or they'd done done just one campaign. And I and, and I had it set up so not only could you play just the East or just the West, you could play a particular campaign in the East or a campaign in the West, or one of the campaigns that walked across both boards. So you could do the Vicksburg campaign, or you could do the rich, you know, you could do the, the Peninsula campaign, or you could do the March to the Sea, or one of those. So you could play the game, you could play six, eight, ten turns, and be done in, in, in two hours with a chunk of the war, or you could take a, a long evening to do East or West, or you could take a weekend and do the whole thing. Um, so that's why it was a Many options game. It was a, it, yeah, but it, it took the system I designed for war and, for war and peace and brought it to the Civil War. Uh, make me want to go look online uh, uh, into the depths of eBay and see if I can rustle up a copy of that for myself sometime. Uh, not to mention war and peace. Still find copies on eBay. You know. yeah. 
or or on board or on board game geek or in Consum world uh other places like that you know um so there were there were like three three four thousand of each uh printed um and they're still around here you still want them here and there okay well we're going to take another short break we're going to come back talk more with our guest tonight mark mclaughlin designer of military board games including most recently rebel raiders on the high seas most recently among civil war games we'll talk more about games and the war when we return i'm jerry prokopovich this is civil war talk radio streaming live the leader in internet talk radio voiceamerica.com If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu.edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking with Mark McLaughlin. He's the designer of the board game Rebel Raiders on the High Seas. Uh, also the designer of Mr. Lincoln's War and 17 other military war games that you can find. Some are in print today. Uh, Rebel Raiders is produced by GMT Games. You can go to the GMT Games website, just Google that name and you'll find it. And you can find that game there. Uh, some of the other games are now out of print. Um, Mark, something you mentioned some of the websites where people discuss uh civil war and other military games like consum world uh and one of the topics that comes up frequently there is the the graying of the hobby and uh, to some extent you see that maybe not so much the reenactors but with uh, if i know when i go to civil war roundtables uh i i get to feel like the the youngster maybe not the youngest guy in the room by any means but uh uh, it, it's it's like being at an over fifty soccer tournament. Uh, we're yeah. all. Uh, do you see both interest in the Civil War and in games? Uh, well, having a future. Uh, certainly, the Civil War interest is not going anywhere. But 
but uh, the, the games that you design, uh, that people like me uh, play for a hobby, do they have a future in the computer age? Oh yeah. Well, well, first of all, there's tons of computer games um, that are that are computer war games, many okay. of which are a lot more detailed than any of the stuff we've designed on board. Um, they are computerized versions of our board games, and they are just fresh up computer games. Uh, and they co- they they cover all areas of history. Uh, obviously, you know World War II is the big one uh, for history. Uh, but then again, um, you look at civilization. You know, f- you know five versions of Sid Meier's game. I still play it. Uh, the fifth version came out. And now there's uh, even more versions of Civilization. So history games do very well on computers. In board game, in board, in terms of board games, uh, military uh, war games, uh, board games uh, of, the, of the type I design. Yeah, it's a graying hobby. It's a, it's a shrinking. It's you've got lots of games, but very small print runs. You go to GMT and you'll see 60, 70 games, but the print runs are very small, and you, you very often don't get more than one reprint, if that, of the game, because there's always the next thing. Um, a lot of men my age have taught their sons, or in some cases their grandsons, how to play some of the simpler games. Um, if you go to a convention where they do these kind of games, again, you'll see mostly uh, men in their 40s and 50s and older, um, but you'll see their, they'll bring their sons, they'll bring their, their nephews, they'll play. Um, what, what guys my son's age, he's 25, tend to gravitate more toward um, science fiction or fantasy because, you know, they used to say, to them, a dragoon is a small dragon (laughs) Um, because that's what they're familiar with. When we were growing up as kids, the Civil War was in our playing cards that we used to get in Bubblegum. It was in Classics Illustrated. It was in the magazines, the cover of Life magazine with the the Centennial. Uh, We were taught the Civil War in in school. Um, So that was very much for us. you know, the next generation was more focused on other periods of history. Or, and same with gaming. Um, computer gaming has changed, has expanded the gaming community, but also changed it. Like it's done it with everything else. Um, I play computer games. I love computer games. Um, some more than others. Some less so. Um, but I still play a board game at least once a week. Um, either with my, uh, I have a good friend in, where I live now in, in Peterborough, North Carolina, sorry, Peterborough, New Hampshire. We play usually every Thursday night, um, or we'll go to a play a miniatures game on a weekend like we did last weekend. Uh, when, I, when I lived in Connecticut up until two years ago, um, I used to go once a month to a board game group um, with a, about 20 to 40 guys with game, and there'd be all manner of, of, of games, almost all of them war games. Uh, again, there, and there'd be a, a much wider age spectrum there. Um, so there's still a market for it. It's, it's not the, as big a market um, as it was in terms of individual games. Like, War and Peace sold 50,000 copies in five years when they designed it. Wow. There were no computer games 30 years ago. The first one I got was in 1983. Um, it was simple. Um, now, but then again, there were only maybe a dozen war games a year coming out. Now, there's a dozen war games a month coming out. Uh, on all, I mean, this uh, this year for, with the the 200th anniversary of Waterloo, I couldn't keep track of the number of Waterloo games that came out. I know my friend Max and I played six of them. <laughs> so, so there's there's fewer of us buying and playing the games. More games coming out. Uh, uh, so each of us has the responsibility to buy more of them. Apparently, uh, 
Another factor, just, just throwing this out, is the issue of time. Uh, my mother, who is the, the number one uh, fan and listener to this show, will recall me lying on the bedroom floor with uh, Avalon Hill, a game like 1914, spread out on the floor. Oh, my, my God, that was a bear. Lying down and playing it for you know hours a day, days, days out of a week uh, after school. Uh, then you know you grow up, you have a family, uh, you you have a job, and you can't spend that kind of time every day uh, engaged in, in board gaming. Uh, so so things do change. Um, well, let me ask you. Again. Uh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Um, all right. Well, first of all, um, a lot of guys play these games at conventions. They'll go to a convention for two, three, four days or a weekend, and they'll play them. And they won't play the game again until they go to the next convention. Other guys will play them at a club they belong to, like my friend the Greenville Mafia. They have a they have these guys. There's thirty guys, and they rent a condo, and they got they have games set up all over the place, and every and guys are free to come in and play whenever they want. Um, you also have guys who will have like a game room, like I have a, an, a, a, an office with a game uh, table, where you leave a game set up, and a friend will come over and you play at it now and you know every you know once a week or once every other week for a while. And there are guys who play the, the board games online because there is a thing called Vassal, where you have a lot of board games, a lot of GMT games in particular, a lot of Avalon Hill games, where you have a virtual map and virtual pieces. They don't have any, any artificial intelligence. But you move the pieces and roll the dice and play the cards online, and the guy you're playing with on the other end of the computer is doing the same thing. Um, so and those things, they take a long time because you're not having the speed of face-to-face uh, to do stuff. But there are guys who have, will have half a dozen of those um, games going at the same time, and they'll play at you know, midnight or 2 o'clock in the morning or you know, when the family's asleep or something. So there are ways to play them, and of course, there are not all games are long. Um, there are games you can play in a half hour to an hour, um, where you're fighting just one battle, or you're fighting, you know, um, a scenario for something. Um, so not all games take forever, and not all games have lots and lots of pieces. Um, so it's, it's again, it's what you're, and a lot of people buy the games, kind of to read. They'll buy the game, they want to read the cards, they want to read the rules, they want to look at the counters, they might lay it out, they might toy with it, play it around a little bit, and then pack it up. Because it's a curiosity to them, and they want to see what is somebody you know, doing about this, this period or this battle or this, this, this thing I'm interested in. Well, that, that takes me back to the question about games and book equivalents. In that sense, you're looking, what does the designer's take on this period of history? Does this designer... Uh, portray the Battle of Gettysburg focusing on uh, rules about how leaders communicate, or do they focus on the morale of the troops, or do they focus on the hardware, the weapons? What what does this designer think is the most important part of the battle? Uh, and that's reflected in what they make rules for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and thus, you it, it's like reading a book and figuring out what's the author's thesis here. Let me ask you, you mentioned you've got a, a number of projects in the works. Are any of them Civil War related? Um, not in games, no. No, I, I've been working on a, on a novel based on <laughs> on Rebel Raiders in the High Seas. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it's about um, a couple of guys in Charleston who get a blockade runner and eventually become uh, run a Rebel Raider. Working on that novel uh, on the side, but it's going. I've got so many other projects going on that have taken precedence over it. I've got about seventy pages written. Um, you know, a fictitious blockade runner and a fictitious uh, you know raider. Um, mm-hmm. 
So that's my only Civil War project going on right now. The other things I'm doing are a reprint of, well, One Small Step Games, which just reprinted my Holy Roman Empire with a reprinted, updated, you know, glossy mounted map, tons of pretty pick, pretty counters and stuff. Mm-hmm. They're reprint doing the same thing for my No Trumpets, No Drums Vietnam game from 30 years ago. Just this week, he said to me, do you think you'd like to, to do a redo of Potomac and Tennessee? And I said, sure. So oh. in a couple of years, you might see a brand new, cleaned up, spruced up, you know, glorified version of both of those. Okay. Well, just we're, we're at the risk of uh, trying the patience of our listeners as we stray a little in the field. That no trumpets, no drums. Uh, I remember when that game came out. It was published by the Three W uh, in their magazine. Uh, I don't know how many years ago, but but that's an example of what I was talking about. Where where it. Your you essentially made an argument about the Vietnam War in the form of that game, a game mm-hmm. that portrays elements as primarily military as saying one thing, a game that involves political factors as saying something else, uh, and and certainly something as controversial as that war. Uh, every game designer, like every author, would have a different take, and I certainly enjoyed uh, that game. And, and thank you. Uh, uh, it was, I, I didn't connect that dot that that was one of yours as well. Uh, well, just a few minutes left. I, I want to uh, just get back on the the, uh, the future question. That that's one that really intrigues me. Um, with with all the technology, will the idea of recreating the Civil War or any war in with a paper map with cardboard will that disappear altogether. You've mentioned several times miniatures or toy soldiers. Uh, It's good to know there's a word called miniatures because it allows us to keep playing with our toy soldiers and feel like we're adults. Um, I I played a miniatures game this weekend about uh, a fictitious after-Waterloo scenario with Austrians and Prussians and French and all that. Um, I, I play, I, last year was, was playtesting a, a set of Civil War rules uh, for a Spanish company uh, that a friend of mine has been working with. Um, this was really followed with a whole new line of miniatures, which is, you know, in their case, lead, you know, not lead, but they're metal. They're used to be right. lead. Other companies make plastics, and you can buy miniature toy soldiers, or miniatures, you want to call them, we call right. them, that are highly detailed, and you paint them. A friend of mine in South Carolina named Chip, he only plays Confederates. Hmm. But, as he said, I have to have somebody for my, Yank- for my Confederates to beat. So I painted up my Yankees. But to paint up my Yankees, first I turn my Confederates around so my, they don't see what I'm doing. I prime the, the you know, spray prime the, the Yankees. And then before I paint the blue on them, I put a little yellow stripe down the back of each one of them so that I know deep inside they're all yellow. Well. So uh, you, you get guys, yeah, you get guys you get who people really, who are really uh, into it. Other guys that, just want to push a bunch of toy soldiers across the, room, uh, the board and roll dice. Others want to know exactly what this regiment would do if it got under canister at 500 yards, you know, and it was in a sunken road, and it was raining, and it was a Tuesday in the fall in Virginia in 1863. And that and sort of rules. brings us full. It brings us full circle. I, I, in the introduction, I mentioned. Uh, uh, Totten and Livermore, uh, who, who designed games like the, the American Kriegspiel or mm-hmm. uh, Strategos back in the 19th century, which are the forerunners of all the games we've been talking about. They were played mm-hmm. by uh, military officers, and they had... Oh, they go back, they, they go back to Ro- Greek, 
to, to Egyptian and, and Roman times. Well, well they uh, do. The, the German, the 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 staff officers of the Kaiser um, thoroughly gamed out World War One before it started. And I have friends who, who who work for the Defense Department, and that's all they do is they they run games. Uh, they run games for high-ranking officers, uh, and for they they do supply games. They do you know full-on war games. You know, uh, during World War, you know, we have a during World War Two, they were they would they would gaming. One of the most famous is the Battle of Midway. The Japanese gamed out the Battle of Midway. The result when they gamed it out was exactly what happened historically. The admiral in charge voided the results and said, "No, this would never happen. We're going to restart, and I'm changing the rules." And so they put the game without the with you know the skewed rules. But what happened? Midway turned out the way they first gamed it. And then they, they weren't able to change the rules to have a do-over for that one. Nope. Well, we unfortunately don't get a do-over for our show. We are out of time. But it has been a, a pleasure talking with you and uh, discussing the world of uh, historical board games and particularly those of the Civil War. Uh, listeners, if you're curious, go to the gmtgames.com website. You'll find... Rebel Raiders on the High Seas by our guest tonight, Mark McLaughlin. You'll find other Civil War games and other military games there. And there are many other companies. It's an interesting way to uh, learn about the past. And Mark, it's been interesting talking with you. Thanks so much for being on the show tonight. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to actually talk to the guy whose book I read. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. And listeners, I hope you enjoyed it too. Thank you as always for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.